It's episode 56 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Before we get started with today's Keto for Women topic, let's chat about caffeine and how many of us are kind of dependent on the caffeine that we drink in the morning, the coffee that we have throughout the day. And really, I think we all know, and if not, I'm here to tell you that that's not really all that great for your body and especially your adrenals. And we talk about stress and adrenals and the impact that that has on our hormones so much here on Keto for Women. And it's a habit that we really need to work on breaking. One of the best ways is to try something different. Try a new approach to your morning beverage, and that really can make a huge difference and can eventually get you off that need for caffeine. And this is where I found Rasa Coffee, which is a sponsor of the Keto for Women show. So love Rasa on so many levels. First of all, they're a Boulder-based female-owned company, which is just near and dear to my heart, of course, but they are also doing amazing things for a caffeine-free alternative to coffee. It contains nothing but adaptogenic herbs. So these herbs are meant to help heal your adrenals, your stress response, basically do the opposite of what traditional coffee will do for us. And It does so in this amazingly delicious flavor that I can't even describe, but it really does take the place of that warm morning beverage, that need for coffee, and the best part is it tastes so good with some sort of fat mixed into it. So you can make a fatty rasa coffee and it is like heaven. It's delicious. I use ghee and coconut oil in mine. Oh my gosh, blend it up so yummy and you can have it throughout the day because guess what? It doesn't contain caffeine and is actually really, really good for you and your adrenals, your hormones, your stress response, all those things that we're working on with keto and just us as ladies. So the cool thing that I really love that I think you all could try if you are someone that's relying and dependent on that caffeine is to use rasa and mix it in with your coffee and slowly start that weaning process. So you could go like 75% coffee, 25% rasa, then do a week at 50-50, then do a week at 25% coffee, 75% rasa until you're totally off the caffeine. And it's just a great way even to just slowly reduce that amount so you're not having these crazy withdrawals that I know a lot of us go through when we're reliant on caffeine. So Rasa Coffee, you have to check it out. You guys are going to love it as much as I do. I know that for a fact. And right now, because they are Keto for Women sponsors, they are giving you 20% off your order. So you need to go to rasacoffee.com slash Keto for Women. That's Rasa, R-A-S-A, coffee, K-O-F-F-E-E dot com slash keto for women. And you will get 20% off. Use the code keto, the number four women at checkout for that discount. Trust me, you're going to love it. I can't wait for y'all to try it. Hey there, friends. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me as always on this edition of Keto for Women. I hope everyone had a great holiday week if it was a place where you celebrated something this week where you live, which could have been Fourth of July, Canada Day, maybe some other sort of holiday around the world that I don't know about yet, too. So hope that all went well for you. And today we have a special guest on the Keto for Women show. We are talking more about a subject that I think needs to be talked about more in the keto community, and that is the idea of healing or managing or even reversing your autoimmune disease, putting that into remission or getting it into a more controlled state, getting back to feeling like yourself again. I know that's a big, big idea for a lot of people that do have autoimmune disease. And I know there are a lot of people that have autoimmune disease, especially those listening to the Keto for Women show. I've had multiple people reach out to me 
And it's really obviously something that's big in my book because that's something that I deal with, having two autoimmune diseases in my past, both being in remission now for several years. And I do credit the ketogenic lifestyle to helping with that. Of course, it's not everything. And those of you that have autoimmune disease, you will know that it takes a lot of balls being in the right court at the right time to really make everything fall together nicely. And it's not just diet, of course, which we all kind of, I think, are slowly learning that about anything, anything you're looking to heal. Yeah, keto is great. Changing your diet is great and eating more real food and really working on the quality of your food too. All that stuff is so important and we talk about it so much here on the show, but it's not everything. And I think we also talk about that a lot on the show. But specifically as it relates to autoimmune disease, the diet aspect is a huge, huge piece. And that's what we're going to talk about today with my guest, Christina Kerp of Castaway Kitchen. She has her own autoimmune disease story. She has her own story of being able to heal that and to learn a lot more about her body and her health and herself through her diet changes, one of which was doing an AIP or autoimmune protocol style diet diet. The other is keto, which is why she's here. And now she's written a book about her journey, but then also with tons of awesome keto recipes. She is a genius in the kitchen. So we're going to hear from her. And it's just a topic that I do really want to bring up more in the ketogenic space, talking about people that have helped their autoimmune disease, getting these stories to back up what we know about producing ketones and how great it is for your immune system. We just need more people to share their story. And that's what we're going to do here today with Christina. So without further ado, let's welcome her to the show. Hey, all you true crime fans. This is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphe. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for coming on Keto for Women today. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here chatting with you because we've been kind of Instagram friends for a while, but not actually like talking friends. So this is a new thing. I know. It makes it real. It's official. (laughs) It's official. We're officially friends. (laughs) No. So I really am excited though to get your message out there and just your story for our listeners, because I think there's going to be a lot of women who resonate with you. And I know that's been the case for you for a while and when you have been so open with your story. So let's start by just getting to know a little bit more about Christina. Yeah. So I'm Miami native, born and raised, Cuban roots. And I'm now living in Virginia. I lived in Hawaii, San Diego. My husband's in the Navy. I have a five-year-old son. And I have like what I learned in the recent years, autoimmune diseases. And I have like one diagnosed one and then like just a lot of weird mystery symptoms, I think. But apparently autoimmune diseases run rampant in my family, which we had no idea. Like I've known my dad has multiple sclerosis since I was in middle school. I didn't know multiple sclerosis was an autoimmune disease Mm -hmm. until recently. My mom has Hashimoto's, rheumatoid arthritis, there's psoriasis, there's eczema. So just the predisposition is obviously there. And I kind of got hit with everything. And I kind of just lived my life dealing with these symptoms because I didn't have a name. I just had this awful skin condition, hydronitis superativa, since I was a teenager, and I had fatigue, and I had brain fog, I had ADHD in high school, I was on like Adderall, and I just kind of dealt with it. Like I thought that was as good as it gets, like being forgetful and not being able to focus, and kind of always being tired, and I've always been overweight, and just that was my life, and I found happiness. It's not like I was completely miserable, but I didn't know it could be better, mm-hmm. and I kind of hit that rock bottom after I had my son because pregnancy does some crazy stuff to your body. <laughs> um, it's, it's whoa! Yeah, I mean, no one talks about the pregnancy is magical and beautiful, and you're growing this human, and then it comes out, and then everything's like wah, wah. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, it's bad, but definitely not very many women talk about that. No one talks about. I mean, like inflammation goes crazy. Your hormones are like insane. So. 
I mean, and autoimmune stuff is very affected by hormones. And so my skin condition, which is hydronitis suppurativa, it started spreading. So where it was normally on like my inner thighs and under my arms, it spread to under my breast. And that was like, oh, hell no. Because I was already breastfeeding this little human. And then to have like painful boils in the same area. Mm, wow. No, it was not going to fly. So yeah, that was miserable. So I kind of hit that like, I can't live like this moment. And I decided to do a whole 30. <laughs> I had done paleo back in 2008, I think, with like a holistic doctor. So, okay, sorry, I kind of skipped a big step. I worked in restaurants. I was a restaurant chef for many years. Mm. So I knew food. So being able to control food was something that was like, oh, I can do that, right? So I did a Whole30, went down the paleo like wormhole, found the autoimmune protocol, did that. And I got better, but I was already like hell-bent on like perfection or bust, which I know is not realistic. I know now, but luckily that attitude took me to troubleshooting enough to where I found keto because I was troubleshooting symptoms of small intestine bacteria overgrowth and then insulin resistant. And the last two years I've been doing the low carb whole food thing. And it's been the most transformative two years of my life, hands down. Ah, oh my gosh. I love it. It's something that resonates so much with me too, because you know, that's a very similar story to what I have and basically starting paleo. So you tried paleo. That was kind of the first step to you trying to get well? And how did that step go for you? So it went well. I mean, at first, I like the weight loss aspect of it. Because I mean, I've always kind of overweight. So even when I got pregnant, I don't have this like, Oh, my God, in my 20s, I was totally hot. And I want to get my body back. I'm always I never liked my body. (laughs) I'm happier now than I ever was. So I didn't have that. But I did balloon after my child, like I kind of always was in the same weight range. And then even during pregnancy, I didn't gain weight during pregnancy. I was a very healthy pregnant lady. But after my son, I put on like 40 pounds in the two years that I nursed him. So I was uncomfortably just inflamed. You know, when it's not even like body fat, you're just like swollen from inflammation. Yeah, right. I had that. And you can tell because it's different that the way your face puffs and your fingers, it's just, it was so uncomfortable. So the inflammation started going down and that felt really nice. And I kind of started seeing that light at the end of the tunnel. But I think for me, paleo was a slippery slope. I used food as an emotional crutch my whole life. I comforted myself with food, but almost to the point of self-harm, like overeating and binging to the point where I was hurting myself. And with paleo, I had all the best intentions, but then because what I know now, I think insulin resistant, like the carb cycling, like that whole vicious cycle with carbs just kept happening on paleo because cassava root flour, the fried plantains or the, the sweet potatoes mm-hmm. or maple syrup on everything. Dates and everything, all the, right, the date desserts oh. and yeah. Right. So I was just kind of doing a paleo version of the standard American diet, which yeah, it's gluten-free, maybe a little more nutritious, but it's not really how you're supposed to do it. So paleo was good, but I think there were, there were some pitfalls there. And I think it's hard because on social media, that's what you see a lot. The paleo pancakes and the paleo brownies and the paleo cookies and the paleo bread. And then you want to eat it. Right. (laughs) Um, Of course you do. And you think that that's normal, but it's not. That's not how people really eat every meal every day. Yeah. And so I kind of, like I said, and then I did the autoimmune protocol because I realized nightshades weren't doing me any favors. And I cried a lot because the thought of not eating tomatoes made me really sad. So how did you know that? What was your instinctual sense that that wasn't working? Because I think there's a lot of people listening who are like, I think I have this food sensitivity, but I don't really know. Yeah, it was weird because I had started trying to troubleshoot and trying like before, like being serious about it. And I get that like people think that overnight it happens and you commit like no people. This was a process for me. I was gluten free for two years. Mm -hmm. And then I dabbled in the no nightshade thing because I just kind of started correlating. I used to love eggplant. I would eat sheet pans of roasted eggplant. But then I, at one point I'm like, um, I'm pretty sure when I eat those, I get a boil and like two days later. Mm -hmm. So in my back of my head, I'm like, no way. It can't be like no one has ever said that those things are related because I've been to a million doctors and no one mentioned that my skin condition was diet related. So I was like, no, I'm just thinking, imagining things. But then I read an article on Rob Wolf's website, Tara Grant, who handles Primal Girl. And she wrote a book called The Hidden Plague, which is about hygienitis superativa, my skin condition. And she talked about the nightshades in her post and how they were a trigger for her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was right. <laughs> so I found the autoimmune protocol, which is no nuts, no nightshades, no eggs, no like seed-based spices. I mean, nothing that's possibly inflammatory. It, no coffee or chocolate. No nuts or nut butters. No, 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 nuts, no butter, nut butters, no seeds. So 
it's hard. It's very difficult, but there's a purpose, obviously. And any food with like anti-nutrients or higher levels of anti-nutrients, any foods that might permeate the gut lining, any foods that could cause, incite any kind of inflammatory response are omitted. And I just knew it was like one of those things where like I kept reading about it and reading about it and thinking like, I don't have to do all that. I don't have to do all. I'm just going to take out nitrogen and then stick to my regular paleo. And it didn't work. It didn't. I had to kind of go full force. And when I did, I started really correlating food and flares, but I was still having flares. Even when I found, I think most of my trigger foods, there was just still inflammation there. And that's how I kept troubleshooting and kind of whittling away at my symptoms until I found this keto AIP mashup thing that I do now. Yeah. So super interested in the mashup, but going back when you went AIP and for started with the nightshades and you said you cried, which it's hard, you know, going AIP is hard. I've done AIP for like a year total over the course of my life. And it's challenging. Mainly, I think for me, it was in like my social life and not really feeling like I could go out to eat with my friends or family or whatever, because there's very few things that don't contain some sort of something that's not AIP. So how did that whole transition go for you? And was it worth it? How long, you know, you're still doing it, I think, to some degree. So degree. yeah, so how is that for you? So I did six months, like full blown elimination phase, and it was hard. I think at the, that point, there was some benefits to I was being like, like in Hawaii, where I was really isolated. And I kind of recluse myself a little bit from social situations, like stop going to like the neighborhood parties and stuff just so I could do this. Mm-hmm. And that was difficult. It's very lonely. Actually, my mom right now is during her elimination phase. I have her on like a AIP keto elimination, which is, I think, a little even harder because AIP does rely heavily on starches. But I told him, like, I'm your daughter and I've kind of inherited like all your stuff. So I think what works for me is going to work for you. <laughs> so let's just like get down to it. And I know she's struggling and there's a lonely aspect to it because yes. a lot of people can't relate to what you're saying and they can wrap your, their head around why you're doing this to yourself. But I do think it was worth it. What I gained from that knowledge, even though AIP didn't solve all my answers, First of all, I proved to myself that I could do it. So I'm like, if I can survive that, I can survive anything. Mm-hmm. And then also I learned about how sensitive my body is to certain ingredients. I mean, for a long time, I couldn't even tolerate, and I still, they're not my favorite, like xanthan gum, guar gum, jello gum, all those little thickeners that they like to add to these products were like instant migraine for me. I learned that while I can do some nuts, I definitely do better when nuts are activated. I do them in small amounts. Like if I have anything more than like a handful of almonds, I get a migraine. It really taught me to communicate with my body, the logging, the food, and like the correlation. You really kind of connect this pattern. And I think it really teaches you to trust the symptoms that your body is like the lights on your dash are blinking. It teaches you how to read them. Yes, definitely. So when you went AIP, you said it didn't solve everything, but did you see some massive improvements? Massive improvement. I definitely correlated like my flares were happening around my cycle, not like food related anymore because I had omitted my triggers. I was able to reintroduce eggs early on. Thank goodness. Those were like Mm -hmm. green light for me. Seed-based spices. Like I can do cumin, which is awesome. (laughs) I love it. I can do black pepper, stuff like that that are AIP compliant. I even actually reintroduced ghee for a long time. And I even grass-fed butter, which is interesting because while my hydroninitis did not flare from that, I did develop kind of like a psoriasis, like like dry scalp stuff, which Mm. I later on when I did a little mini AIP reset in December, realized it was from the ghee and the butter. So now I'm back to 100% no dairy. Yeah, that's also interesting. And I think I don't know. See if you agree with me and because you're more in the AIP community, but I feel like there might be some people kind of missing that step. It seems like there's so many people who go AIP and then they get too scared to reintroduce anything. Like food becomes scary. Right. And so they just stay AIP for a really long time. And that's not the point. That's not the point. Absolutely. I think the food fear thing is so real. I know I empathize. Like that's how I feel about like nightshades. But I've tested it out. I'm not saying that I'm like, I'm never going to try nightshades again, but I'm at the point where if I handle peppers, because I will for my husband, because he, oh my God, poor guy, he has to like, you know, eat what I eat, (laughs) and he misses them. So every now and then I'm like, okay, babe, I saw these beautiful peppers or tomatoes at the farmer's market and I'll prepare them for him. And if I don't wear gloves, I get a contact reaction. Mm. So I know those are still on my no-go list. And also I've been like 
contaminated or like dosed at, at a restaurant. And I know I still flare from them, mm-hmm. but definitely you have to try. I mean, I try with nuts, the dairy thing, like especially ghee and butter. I love them. And I think that while I think I'm slightly grossed out by actual cow milk, which I know is absurd, but after like nursing my son, I don't know the whole like breast milk from another mammal thing is like weird to me. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's true. You know, it is. It, that's what it is. Like we were watching 101 Dalmatians and like the little scene where like all the puppies are in the, in the barn and they're like licking milk from the cow. My kid is like, what are they doing? I'm like, that's where the milk comes from. Yeah, right. And humans are drinking it too. Exactly. It's just a little strange to me. Yeah. And also because milk is the way it's meant to be, like it's meant to permeate the gut lining because the mom's antibodies and hormones need to get into the baby's blood. Right. And so like that's happening in your body too with cow milk and hormones and antibodies. But that's another story. (laughs) You're talking to a bunch of keto dairy lovers. So, and I try to do it too, but it's a hard one to break for a lot of keto people. Well, luckily, I mean, the lactose and, and the casein is usually like fermented out or, I mean, especially the lactose with hard and aged cheeses, which helps Mm -hmm. and culture cheeses. And there are nutritional benefits, amazing fat soluble vitamins, right? So yeah, definitely nutritional benefits to grass-fed dairy products. But for me, I think it wasn't a leaky gut issue because I'm pretty much healed my leaky gut. I think it was the hormone component that was making my skin react, like the psoriasis thing. I mean, I'm telling you one serving and within 24 hours, flake central. Mm-hmm. And then if I omit it for another like two days, it's gone again. It's instant. Right. So there's always just, I think it's, you have to learn and people with AIP, like remember if foods are going to affect you in different ways, it's not always going to be your autoimmune disease. It's not always going to be your leaky gut. It can be other things going on in your body. (laughs) We've got hormones, we've got livers, you know, we've got things that like other functions going on that we have to take care of. And with AIP, people get kind of like obsessed with the leaky gut thing. Yeah. And it it becomes so scary. And so then you're eating like, and for me, it was the case for me too, when I was going through it, I was eating like six foods comfortably Mm -hmm. at a time. And then just having all this food fear and being scared to try anything, but really that's how you determine what works for you. And that's how you know that, you know, you can do a small amount of nuts, but you can't do a large amount of nuts. You can do eggs. Thank goodness. You just have to try these things. You can't be afraid to give it a go. And you have to know that even if you do everything perfect forever, guess what? You're still going to have a flare at some point because that's life because you'll get stressed out because something's going to happen. You can't live in that bubble. What you have to just trust is that you've healed enough. So when you do reintroduce something, if you do have a flare, it's going to be short-lived. You're going to recover a lot faster. And that's still progress. Like I bounce back from a flare now in two days. And whereas before it was like six months. (laughs) So that's still progress. And I do, I urge people to kind of get outside of their comfort zone with that. But I think when you're in the elimination phase, you also feel like you have the power of the AIP community behind you. But once you're AIP, but I eat eggs, like where do you fit now? You know, you're like orphans. Yeah. I remember that. I remember, you know, as I was trying to reintroduce things, it was almost like, oh no, I'm not one of them anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, are they still going to accept me even though I can eat eggs? And then, you know, you post a photo that has eggs and the rest of it's AIP. And then people are like, oh my God, you eat eggs. It's just this weird social media thing that really doesn't need to happen. But what I now know out of it is that no matter what, the goal is not to stay AIP. The goal is to introduce as many foods as you possibly can because those foods that are on the autoimmune protocol, like eggs and nuts and seeds, those things, they're really healthy, really nutrient-dense foods. And if you can eat them, you should be eating them. Right. I mean, the more variety of food in your diet in general, the better. Yeah. You know, and our bodies don't like, they don't do well with that same thing every day. You know, we really do need to give it diverse, like sources of protein and diverse different micronutrients. So I agree. I think it's in phases, right? That's the thing too. You can reintroduce eggs, hang out there for a while with your AIP plus eggs. You know, then when you're really feeling it, okay, let's try nuts. And that takes a while because man, there's a lot of different nuts out there. You're not just going to go get a bag of trail mix and like, you know, shove it in Right. So it's a slow process. So you got to get started at some point. I love it. So, so agree. Okay. So then now let's talk keto. How did keto get reintroduced to all of this? So I was doing like what I called low carb paleo. I think it's already been a little over two years. And I think I was scared to call it keto for one, because I didn't really assimilate with the keto community for a long time, mostly because when I first went to like explore, I think I was on Reddit, which I don't think is a good place to do that. But 
<laughs> I was, yeah. it's, it can be scary, man. Yes, agreed. So, and there was also, like I said, a lot of foods I still couldn't eat, like the no nightshades. And there was a lot, and I was doing nuts back then quite a bit, but the dairy, which I know for me, like cheese is just one of those foods that I don't do. And I kind of felt like, okay, well, I'm just going to stay in my little paleo corner, but do low carb, like a la Marxism, primal blueprint thing. And I felt good, but I hit that wall. I was, I don't know, like just kind of like deflated. I felt mm-hmm. like I don't have that much energy. My weight loss is stalled. I was getting that like roundness in the middle, like where I was losing weight only in my extremities. Like mm-hmm. my legs were toning up and my arms were toning up. But I was like saying like my middle section was not changing. And that was weird to me because I had always even luckily, maybe because I'm like Latin or something. But even when I was overweight, I always had kind of an hourglass figure. So I was like, why do I look like the stick figure with the round middle torso thing? <laughs> and so I started doing research and I learned about like hormones and I learned about insulin resistance and estrogen dominance. And I was like, okay, I'm a big research geek when it comes to those kind of things. And my sister, luckily, she's a holistic fertility like person. That's what she does. And she knows so much. And so just with conversations with her and troubleshooting, we found our way to keto about like, hey, I think this is going to like help you. Like, let's lower those carbs a little bit more. Let's up the fats. And I read the No Fail Fat Burning for Women book. I think it's Sky St. John and Michelle. I can't remember her name. It's a short little 72 page book. And it has a whole program in it. And I read it. I did it. And I felt really great. I really liked it. And I was like, you know, this is totally doable for me. And the book is very, except for grass-fed butter, it is dairy-free and actually nightshade-free. It doesn't have recipes, but she does have her like approved food list. And surprisingly, nightshades weren't on there. So I'm like, ooh, these are my people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just a great program. And it even had the workouts, which I liked that it was about like shorter workouts, not overtraining kind of thing. And it worked until it didn't. Like I have this theory where like, I think all programs have their merit. They always encourage people to, hey, tweak as needed because doesn't matter how well a program is written, unless you're like working one-on-one with someone, it's not going to be specific for you, right? So there's always that room for making it work. And I did. So I did that with that and I just kept doing it. And I just stayed after that full-fledged. And I was like, then I kind of found my keto britches where I'm like, okay, I got this now. And, you know, my cooking evolved a little bit more. I really got comfortable with the space. And I was like, okay, I'm going to say I'm keto now. Like I can finally like drop the low carb paleo and just say I'm full fledged keto. I think I was doing it a long time before I actually like said it just because I felt like am I just one of those people jumping on the bandwagon now? Yeah. At KetoCon this past weekend, it was called coming out of the keto closet. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, it's, it takes a little bit of time for some people to actually quote unquote admit that's what they're doing because there's a little bit of fear or just of what people think or what people would say, just that kind of thing. So it's understandable, but you came out of the keto closet. Did you have any further healing take place when you did actually get into ketosis? Yes. So it took a while. I will say that the first things I noticed was the energy was like, I had really good energy at first. And then there was some troubleshooting there in the middle, which, you know, like I said, healing isn't linear, nothing's linear, Mm -hmm. but the focus, like mental focus was a big one for me reduction in inflammation, like holy moly, I think I was still dealing with like cyclical, like with my cycle I had, like with ovulation, it was just like miserable every month and balancing my hormones became a priority. And so, okay, so this is like my weird, like hypothesis that like, I'm not a doctor or scientist or anything. And what I think from research that I deduced was happening in my body was that, you know, I have insulin resistance and I had estrogen dominance and I had a lot of toxicity just stored in my body fat especially that visceral body fat that was why my torso was still like not changing shape despite working out and eating right. And I think that that stubborn fat was like not going anywhere because my body was just overburdened with estrogen, with excess sex hormones. And so my liver and my gut, which both, you know, metabolize those were like, eh, we can't handle, we can't process anything else. So it was like not touching that stored body fat. So I think regulating my hormones kind of gave my like liver the opportunity to work on like, hey, let's use this fat for fuel and like get those toxins out. And so I went full force with keto and like dairy-free keto. And I was doing nuts at the beginning. So I had my hormones tested in January and like six months later, I had them tested again. And they regulated a lot. Like even in six months, my estrogen went from like through the roof to like normal high levels, which is good. And I haven't mm-hmm. gotten tested them again because of all the move and all that. But just because of the way I feel and I track my cycle regularly, like I know that it's definitely better. And I started losing inches in in my waist again and my hips. And I no longer flare with my cycle. I mean, I would get like swollen gums, swollen joints. 
a lot of bloating, like achy, which is just so random. Especially the, the gum thing, but apparently that's pretty normal. I was like, a lot yeah. of other women tell me that, that it happens to them. Yeah, I've heard that too. And that doesn't happen anymore. So it's been a vast improvement in that arena. And as I became fat adapted, because there was that, you know, at the beginning when you're like in ketosis intermittently because your body's just not like fat adapted yet. Mm-hmm. I rode that roller coaster for a while and I was surprised because I'm like, what? I've been like low carb for so long. Why is it this so hard? It was, man. Oh my gosh. It took me a while to get in there like full fledged. But once mm-hmm. I became fat adapted, I could work out again and feel amazing. I could work for hours. Like the best thing for me is getting work done. Like it surprises me how I can sit down to my computer and just drill away, laser focus, remember things and just retain information being fasted, which is so cool. And then like, Hey, it's noon, like it's noon right now. And I haven't eaten yet. I've had coffee, but that's it. And that was just really cool to me. That was very new to me to not be hungry all the time, to not be thinking about food like 24 seven. I love it. It's so good. All those really awesome things. But then, you know, for you and being able to manage your flares even further, Right. It's just amazing. Yeah. And the HS is completely gone. I mean, it was almost like with the low carb, like paleo keto thing I was doing before where I was like, it was pretty much a hundred percent in remission, but I will say that inflammatory symptoms in general are down to like pretty much gone. And I don't get them food related anymore. If I do get anything inflammation like prone, it's stress related, Mm -hmm. which is a whole other like bag of crazy, but I think that it's amazing to be in a place where I'm thriving so much with my dietary choices that it's like food freedom, right? Like, you know, I know that most heart would kind of coin that term, but it's such a good term for how it makes you feel, you know? It's so true. I mean, that's something that I talk about. Probably one of the best things that happened to me when I went keto is like, oh my gosh, I actually feel free around food. Right. And for the first time ever. Right. And you don't have these crazy cravings. And I talk about this with people where like, I think anyone with enough like emotional, I guess, baggage, you could call it, or surrounding food, which a lot of us have it. Believe me, I had truckloads of it. I think you can take any form of eating and make it unhealthy and make it a yo-yo diet and make it this like crazy self form of punishment. And I see that happening even with keto. But I do think that if you're going at it from, hey, I really want to heal and thrive, and I'm not over-restricting you can feel that sense of like, you're enjoying what you're eating every day. You never feel deprived. You have energy and you're just happy about it, you know? Absolutely. Which is what I I want for everybody. Exactly. Like that's the whole point here. You know, it's a lifestyle. It's not something to obsess over, become the next thing. So do you feel confident then as someone with autoimmune disease that you would recommend someone else with autoimmune disease give keto a try? I do. I think that if you're going from the standard American diet, doing keto is a great way to start. Like, I think it's hard to tell someone like, Hey, do AIP keto from the start. I do see a lot of people. Okay. And I might get like shit on for this. Sorry. I don't know. No, you'll be fine. Okay. (laughs) But the carnivore keto thing that's becoming really popular right now. Mm -hmm. I have a theory coming from my AIP background. I feel like that's just a keto version of an elimination diet, except you're just doing all vegetables instead of like maybe inflammatory vegetables. I see a lot of people like, oh my God, I feel so much better on carnivore. And I'm like, yeah, but maybe you were like slamming green beans or like cucumbers, totally unsuspecting vegetable and they're AIP compliant. But guess what? I can't eat cucumbers. Yeah. Makes me burp for like days. So I just think people, I get it. Some people do better on a protein heavier diet. And actually Dr. Ken Berry and I talked about this, like ancestral, like your genetics play a lot in that. But for me, I think that, great, you start something new, keto, but don't expect it just how you do it from the first Google search thing you find for it to work for you. Don't be afraid to troubleshoot, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm a huge component of elimination diets. I think that you learn a lot about yourself and a lot about your food triggers. But like I said, I would do an AIP keto elimination before going carnivore keto just because I think it's more doable. Yeah, I actually think that's a really good thing to say, because I feel kind of the same thing about carnivore is that, of course, you're going to feel really good because you're taking out pretty much any chance, any chance of any of your food sensitivities are pretty much going to be gone because from actually doing food sensitivity testing in my practice, I know that there's a lot of vegetables and other things that people are eating every day, like avocado and coconut and things like that on a keto diet that are food sensitivities for them. So you take that out and you're eliminating 
pretty much all chance. So, right. so I hate these people and I'm like, no man, what you need to do is AIP, not like, or just or do an elimination diet, not just go carnivore and say, yeah. It's so all- you're still all- getting some vegetables in there, but the ones that you know work for you. So yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. I love it so much. Okay. So I want to change the topic a little bit yeah. and talk more about your weight and how that has been throughout your life. And I know you've made changes relatively recently, maybe within the past few years of being more focused on getting strong and just stuff you can do in the gym and not so much worrying about the number on the scale and stuff like that. So I'd love to have that conversation because that's really big here on Keto for Women. Yeah, definitely. So I've been overweight since I don't have a memory. Like I told you, like I don't have a before, even baby pictures. I was at a year old, I was already bigger than my sister who was a year older than me, like not just was I overweight, but I was the only overweight person of my generation. Like both my sisters were skinny, my cousins, you know, it was just, it was hard. I felt like I stood out, right. I was like the middle child, the fat one. And like, I don't know, I just, and the clumsy one to boot, like, damn it. (laughs) So I just was really self-conscious, horrible body image issues. And then I, in my first preteens, got my skin condition, which is like, you know, medieval and awful and affects, you know, intimacy and everything because it's in like, you know, delicate areas. And so mount that on, I just had this like crazy self-loathing thing happening where I don't think I ever felt comfortable in my own skin. And it's so weird to think like I got married and I love my husband. We're so happily together, but, and had a child and all that. And all that time had this like disconnect with my own body where Mm -hmm. it was always just like this thing that I kind of was like, "Eh," and I crash dieted and diet pills and Atkins and Weight Watchers and South Beach diet. And what we call the Miami diet where like you drink coffee in the morning with like your diet pills. And then you eat a salad for lunch and then you just drink booze all night. (laughs) That was what I did in my twenties. And like, maybe I was slightly thinner, but it's funny because I'm in a smaller size, like in my early twenties, I think I was like a size, like I was wearing a 14 or a 12, but I had no muscle definition, you know, like the only workout I got was like dancing and heels <laughs> at the club, not like a stripper. Like I would, right. Yes. We, we got that. <laughs> so yeah, I've had, there was a lot of psychology there. My mom yo-yo dieted her whole life. And so watching this woman hate her body when she was fat and then love her body when she was skinny showed me the same thing, right? Like, well, I'm always fat. So I always hate my body. And how can I love this body if it's not skinny? And I think when I first started all of this, I wanted to be skinny. I still started this journey when I did that first whole 30. I know everyone says it's not, you know, I was still like, no, no, I want to lose weight. And that was such a big part of my focus in my first year, even through trying to heal my autoimmune disease. I think I self-sabotaged myself so many times because of that weight loss where I'm like, okay, I was going on this awesome slow track, but then I'd be like over restriction so I can drop some pounds. And then I would create like an unhealthy habit, right? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of when like binging on those paleo treats came in. I mean, at least I wasn't going full blown like gluten binge, but (laughs) But still food on healthy food, right? In an unhealthy way, like it was emotionally unhealthy. And so that happened for a while there until, I don't know, I just felt better and I was still losing some weight, but I kind of got to that point where I decided just to stop. Like I couldn't do it anymore. I felt kind of hopeless and like, I'm just going to focus on my health stuff. Like screw the weight, whatever happens, happens. And I was kind of low about stuff. And my mom was like, you know, when you feel really stagnant, you're just focusing on everything you can control. Like, why don't you like let go of some stuff? And she actually like got me a phone call with this like energy healer, which I know sounds super woo woo. No, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) My whole family sees this woman and she's like amazing in Miami. And so I talked to this person and oh my gosh, it was so amazing. The stuff I unloaded and I had several sessions with her and I became really fascinated with the emotional side of healing because seeing within days of my session with her, that's when my healing took a turn for the best. That's when weight started moving again. Like, and not just weight, my body composition. Because I, I always joke, it's like with my husband, like it's some weird, like cosmic, cruel joke where I'm always going to be really, really heavy, but my body's just going to look different. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain that in a second where like I've pretty much have gained 10 pounds in the last year, but dropped a dress size. Yeah. I just stopped weighing myself. Like what's the point? But I think that was so important, the emotional side. Like, how was I going to heal a body that I hated? Totally. It wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to work. My body's like, you don't love me. I'm not going to love you back. Like, why? So yeah, I forgave myself for hating myself for so long. You know, you have to like repair the resentment and kind of embrace it and embrace what 
your body can do and what it's there for. And I think with autoimmunity, there's like a deeper component in that because your body attacks itself, right? It's literally attacking itself. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a little bit of trust issues there. And mm-hmm. I saw, you know, daily affirmations and there's this Hawaiian practice of reconciliation. It's a whole ponono, which is like, well, it's usually like family members kind of chant this to like a loved one, which is like, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I still, to this day, as I fall asleep, I like repeat that to myself. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. And I think it's part of my like, we got this, we can do this. I'm not going to pay forever for what I've done to my body in the past. Right. And it's really kind of changing the conversation that you're having with yourself, which we have years and years and years, a lifetime so far of talking negatively to ourselves, not even realizing it, just kind of thinking that's just what you do. And then when you change that narrative, which you did, but important to know it, is not an overnight thing. (laughs) And it's still not perfect. I still have to catch myself because the hard thing about just living in this world and being on social media and having these pressures is that, you know, we're still held to this standard that's like unfair of like what a fit person should look like. Right. And like, Mm -hmm. even though I don't care to look like that, I still get compared to where people feel they can compare me or I don't know, it's just weird entitlement online. But it's hard because as someone who feels some pressure from having, you know, people that look up to you for being healthy. I'm like, am I like, do I have this like before and after like success story? And I felt for a long time that if I didn't have my like hundred pound weight loss picture, I didn't qualify. And Mm -hmm. so many times, and I've done this several times throughout this journey where I'm like really rocking it. And then I will go into like, let me restrict and I'll go find one of those keto macro calculators and be like, okay, where can I get my calorie deficit? And how can I do this to like, and I've done it. I do it for a few days. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? This isn't going to work. Right. You know? But I fall into the trap too. But I've done it enough times now, right? Like Pavlov's dog, you learn eventually. Where I've done it enough times where I know that that does not work for my body. I learn to just own my food freedom. I'm really loving what I'm eating. I'm really loving how what I'm eating is making me feel. And I really love weightlifting. So I focused on that, on like crushing it at the gym, on staying active, on getting enough sleep and on just feeling really good about my food choices. And my body is still changing and I am losing body fat, but I don't weigh less. I don't even know if I've ever said this online, but I'm like about 200 pounds. I am 5'9 and I am 200 pounds and I wear a size 12, but like I have like 26% body fat, which is for a woman is pretty normal. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. People are like, you're 200 pounds. I'm like, yes, I know that sounds like a crazy number. But that's where I'm at. And I might not look like it, but that's the thing. Like, what does a number look like? Right? It's just a number. It doesn't mean anything. And it's, you know, like you said, your weight changed and your body changed in the opposite direction of what you would expect. Yeah. And it's just continues. There's so many stories like this. I'm the same way. There's so many stories out there like this of it, that that number literally meaning absolutely nothing. And yet we've been taught to correlate that with how we feel about ourselves and what we think we need to do or eat or not eat. And it just honestly means absolutely nothing. And we have multiple people saying this. And so we really just kind of need to continue that conversation. I put so much like, I remember thinking like, I think it was like for a month or two, I was like 195. And I remember just thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to be in the 180 soon. It's going to be like huge. And last time when I was in my early 20s for a while, I did weigh like 180 something. And I remember I was wearing a bigger size than I am now because I had no muscle on my Mm -hmm. body back then. And it's crazy because when I started weightlifting like really heavy and like really going at it at the gym, I started gaining weight again. And at first I was like, what? But then I realized like it's not body fat. It's my quads growing and my back getting built and like the, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's awesome. So who cares if it weighs more? Yeah. I mean, if you think about that, if we actually do the math, just roughly, if you're 200 pounds and you're like 25, 26% body fat, that means you have 150 pounds of muscle. on your body, which is so, so important. It's so obviously healthy and good for your overall body and just keeping it, your structure maintained and all that stuff as we age. So all that stuff is really great, but it's also really awesome for your metabolism and being able to continue to burn fat and to be in ketosis and have that fat burning thing happen as you go. So it's like, man, there's so many great advantages. This is why I talk about the fact that women need to build muscle on every single episode. Yes. Oh my God. I go to the gym and I see these poor women and they look miserable and they're like, 
on the treadmill for like an hour. And it's not saying that cardio is bad. Cardio can be really good for you, but I don't do well with high impact cardio. So I do a lot of long walks and I do hikes and then I lift and it's incredible the way my body has changed shape. Mm -hmm. And like I said, with getting my hormones in check and with keto, getting my insulin resistance in check, like my waist is shrinking and my hips and I'm just toning up. Like, I mean, I had a baby, I have the pooch on my hips, right? And there's still jiggly bits like, but I see definition in my obliques, you know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, hey girl, you know, like, look at that. And like, yes, I still have a roll on my back, but like, who knows how to get rid of those. But I also (laughs) have muscles back there too, you know? Yeah, it's completely changing. We just need to continue that story of how you can actually change the shape of your body. And it does not matter what any numbers mean. We're focused on getting strong. And we can be really strong. Like I can deadlift my husband. I mean, Mm -hmm. like he's a cyclist, which is funny because we're opposites. He's like the endurance cardio guy and he's so lean. But it's fine because if the house is on fire, I can carry both of them out. <laughs> like I'll save the family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is so important. So even thinking about that stuff, like, because some people are like, why do I need to be able to deadlift my husband? Like, it doesn't matter still like having that strength, just knowing that if something happens, I'm hey. good. I'm strong. I can take care of this. And it's really super empowering. Like there's been multiple times where it's just like, man, if I really needed to, I could probably beat this guy up. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, we were at this, this like thing at a church where we were using it for my son's like end of the year party and we had to move like the pews and the guys were all like, you know, all the dads were like, oh man. And I'm just like, come here. And I like grabbed yeah. one and like moved it over and they're like, wow. And I'm like, I was telling my little sister because she's 20 something and she likes farming and I took it to the gym with me and she like felt so awkward with the weights, right? And I get that. A lot of women who if you haven't done it before, you feel out of place there. But I was telling her, I'm like, and I go to these movements, a deadlift. Think about how many times you make that move when you work on mm-hmm. a farm. Yeah. Like lifting something heavy off the floor, we have to do all the time. Like that movement of picking up a box or a grandchild, as you get older, that's how people get hurt. Mm-hmm. So having those muscles in place, it's really like the fountain of youth. It's so important for like, so you don't get injuries and yeah, stay agile and be able to move as you get older. And I'm someone who never worked out before people, full disclosure, before two years ago, I dreaded the gym. I love it. That's another huge point because I think there's a lot of people listening who are like in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. They're like, oh, well, it's too late for me now. No, 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 no. no. And when you're eating the right things, like when you're eating food that is like giving you energy and giving you fuel and you go into the gym and you feel your best and you're going to feel how capable you are. And that sense of accomplishment is just, I mean, my mom is in her fifties. And when she came to me like a few weeks ago, huge rheumatoid arthritis crisis, like went to the ER arm in a cast and three days later, and granted like three days doesn't happen always this fast. Right. But three days later she calls me and she's like, is it possible to feel better so fast? And I'm like, it's possible. I mean, it's not common, but it's possible. And she was at the gym weightlifting. Mm. I mean, this woman never worked out, but she got a little trainer guy and this guy who's really good with like, because she had frozen shoulder and she said all these issues. And she said that she was able to lift, like she got her PR. So awesome. And three days in and just changed her diet. And she was already dabbling in mostly paleo, gluten-free for a long time. But there must have been something. And she said it herself. She's like, I must have been eating something that was like poison to my body. That Mm -hmm. obviously with this elimination just was so rapid. Oh, I love it so much. We're so on the same page. It's great. Before we move on with this episode, let me just take a minute to remind you all about the healing power of bone broth. And more specifically, Oh So Good Bone Broth, who is a proud Keto for Women sponsor, Bone broth is the best, most nutrient-dense way that you can go to heal your body and heal your gut and improve your skin and nails and hair. The amino acid profile in bone broth is absolutely incredible, something we all need and a lot of us miss on a regular basis. Not to mention those micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals also provided naturally in bone broth that work to heal your gut and also to heal your immune system and to keep you healthy and well. That's why we are recommended to drink broth when we're sick or when we feel ourselves getting sick. And to have that in a package that is so delicious and so easy 
All you have to do is grab a pack of oh so good bone broth out of your freezer, let it thaw, put it into a pot, and you can use it either in recipes for whatever you're making that day, or my personal favorite is to just drink it straight out of a mug. It's very comforting and warm. I love to do it before bed. It's kind of my nighttime ritual. It calms me down, makes sure that I'm nice and healthy heading into bedtime, and I have those nutrients ready to go. Oh So Good Bone Broth is 100% the best tasting broth out there. It is the best one I have ever had. I've tried them all. I am a huge fan of the flavors of the bone broth that they have there at Oh So Good. My favorite is the Signature. I highly recommend that. A close second is the Spicy Pork. So make sure when you are placing your order with Oh So Good, you grab those two and just give them a try. Let me know if you think they're your favorite too. And just make sure you always have some around. I know you can make your own, but there's just times when all of a sudden you or your family member feels like they're coming down with something and you need some broth immediately, but you don't have any bones. You don't have the time to make some broth. And it's just really nice to have that in the freezer ready to go for whenever you or your family needs it, which really, honestly, it's an everyday thing. You need to be making this a ritual so that it gets into your healthcare routine because it is a much needed part of that. So head to ohsogoodbones.com and get $10 off your order when you use the code KETO, the number for women. That's ohsogoodbones.com and use the coupon code KETO, the number for women to place your order, get $10 off. Make sure to try all those flavors. Try the soups too. They are phenomenal and so easy to pull out and have around for a quick dinner. Uh, Just so great. Everything's so good there. I promise you're going to be obsessed. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your cooking because you are the Castaway Kitchen. Yes. You do a lot of cooking. So how did you get into that? Kind of like what are your go-tos, that kind of thing? So my mom owns actually a restaurant. So she's a health food restaurant, like Little Farm to Table Organic Place in Miami. It's been cool. open a lot years. Yeah, Green Gables Cafe, really cute. And I used to work in marketing and like PR and stuff and advertising and that. But I always loved to cook. And so I was always like helping her out at the restaurant on my off time. And I just learned to cook from her in her kitchen. She's always been just so talented. And at some point, like in my early 20s, after 25 or something, I was just miserable in my corporate job. And so I was like, mom, can I work for you? <laughs> you know? And so she hired me, of course. And I started working in the restaurant and I ended up in the kitchen. And one day, like the chef didn't make it because he had a family emergency and I covered for him and I was really good at it. Just naturally. Yeah, like at the line, the pace. Wow. I mean, I always knew how to cook, but being able to do it in that setting of like the orders, it's really fast. And I was, yeah. And so I stayed in the kitchen working under him. I didn't like take his job. That's messed up. I like worked as his like sous chef for a long time until he did leave to work at a bigger restaurant. And I was the head chef at her restaurant for a few years. And I moved to San Diego and worked my way up on this uh, biodiesel, like farm to table food truck and became the executive chef there. And I was doing like pop-up dinners had like a little healthy baby cake business there for a while. So I've been all over the place, but I've always loved to cook. So food was my thing. I remember as early as middle school, like going home with my friends and we'd watch Dirty Dancing and I would make them food like sauteed zucchini and stuff, you know, not like popcorn. So food is just, it's like my family's love language, right? Yeah. It's always been there. Yeah. And my dad's a butcher and everyone loves to cook and they're really, I mean, all my aunts just are so talented. So food's always been there. And Working in kitchens really expanded my horizons from more than just like the Latin background to like very multicultural, farm to table, just really creative. And interestingly enough, because I was able to like hone in my craft with a more standard approach, I feel really comfortable kind of breaking the rules when then now it comes to paleo and keto and like grain free, low carb cooking. So I'm kind of known for like people read my recipes and they're like, I don't know, man, I don't know. But then they make them and they're like, oh my God, this is awesome. Those are the best kind. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool because I'm very confident in the kitchen where I can just whip up some weird stuff and I know it's going to turn out. And I look at flavors and textures more than, oh, this and this goes together. And doing that AIP background, right? You really got to get creative. And so when it comes to flavors and textures and binders and this and that, like I have a teriyaki bowl where the teriyaki sauce is made of like 
red wine vinegar, coconut aminos, bone broth, and gelatin instead of using a thickening agent. Love it. Yeah. So like my go-to stuff is like out of the box. Like I love thinking about fun sauces. Like sauces are my jam. It's a great way to add healthy fats to any meal, change up flavors. If you're not into like cooking fancy stuff, you can grill up some chicken and roast some cauliflower rice. And yes, if you're not roasting your cauliflower rice, you're doing it wrong. Because <laughs> steamed cauliflower rice doesn't taste good. And then just throw a sauce on it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like you can do a That's cur- like my, that's what I do and every yeah. single meal. <laughs> yeah. And it's really great because most sauces are fat-based. So then keto, here we go. Exactly. Easy. It's a no-brainer. Like you can do chimichurri, you can do a mayo, whatever, yep. you know? And so I think I love ground beef. Oh my gosh. And people mm-hmm. are like, I get it. It's like the cheap, not fancy cut, but ground beef. So good though. So versatile. So good. I get the 85% lean. So there's plenty of fat in it already. It's cheap. So you can get the grass fed and I do meatballs. I do loaves. I do it crispy. When I cook up my ground beef, like if you keep cooking it after it browns and just keep cooking it for like another 15 mm-hmm. minutes, it gets like, oh my God, it's so good. It's like little tiny morsels of crispy fat. It's so amazing. So all of this led you to create a book that's yes. coming out very, very soon. So tell me about it. Oh my God. So Made Whole is my book title. And I guess a subtitle is something like uh, more than 145 anti-inflammatory keto paleo recipes to nourish you from the inside out. The premise for the book was, oh my gosh, I'm keto. I'm in this keto space. I don't have resources to send my people when they ask me hey, do you know people who do dairy-free keto? Do you know people who do nightshade-free keto? Do you know people who do nut-free keto? And I was kind of like, there's a few here, there's a few there, but I couldn't like give them something, right? So I decided, I'm like, I should write this book because I think I'm someone that can write it in a way that the food isn't going to be about what's not there. It's going to be about it. It's going to be delicious and you're not even going to care about what's not there. So is it all AIP? So no, but it's mostly... I didn't think I would be able to pull off so many AIP recipes, but what I did is the book has about 150 recipes, Mm -hmm. 120 are AIP or have AIP modifications. Wow. That's incredible. And obviously keto and obviously paleo. That's so awesome. Right. And they're all keto and they're all paleo. So I would say technically the only ones that are not paleo are the ones that have swerve because that's not paleo, right? Mm -hmm. And I only use stevia and swerve to sweeten and I only use them in the sweets. And I have a whole thing about that because I have a hate love relationship with sweeteners. Yeah, I, me too. Yeah. And so I use them very sparingly and like I lightly sweeten my sweets because I think like for me lately, I've been on just like the only stevia train. I've kind of dropped the erythritol just because that's a pitfall for me. Like, Right. You know, whether it affects your blood sugar or not, it's my body's still like sugar. Let's my party. body's still like, oh yeah, I love all desserts now. Let me just want all desserts. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just eating brownies all day. So I just don't do it. Right. That's another thing about like, man, you got to know if you're a moderator and an abstainer. And I am an abstainer. Like I can't moderate anything. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited about the book and it's nut free too. So it's completely nut free. I do use seeds and like seed based, like sun butter. So if you're someone that does like to use almond butter, go for it. I just wanted it to be like a no-brainer, allergy-friendly book. Plus, I'm kind of obsessed with like how powerful seeds are in our diets. Like they affect our hormones. I think there's like healing factors to them. Like, I don't know, like they're just, I like seeds. And I do use butter and ghee in a handful of recipes. The option is there. I talk about the benefits to them. I also talk about my whole dairy thing. And I tend to come in from another mammal's breast milk. <laughs> but I do think that it's a really like, people can source grass-fed butter a lot easier, right? And it's affordable. People can get it and you can use it. Go for it. I don't demonize any foods, right? But it's a beast. It's oh my gosh. 432 pages. It's something that is so needed though. I think in this community, just really, really focusing on the anti-inflammatory foods because that's not something that necessarily just as soon as you go keto and you start eating all the bacon and all the eggs and all the dairy and all that, like that's not really doing a whole lot for your inflammation. It's not. And like you said, almonds are healthy, but when you're eating bread made out of almond meal, right? And it's like, if this recipe makes like 10 slices and you're eating two a day, but it's like a recipe with like three or four cups of almond meal, like I made that mistake and like almonds are great in a handful, but they have phytic acid and the almond flour that you're getting, it wasn't from like almonds that were soaked. And so they're not activated. So those things can affect you. And they affected me. Like I had, I made that mistake. I went keto and I was like, 
butter, butter, almonds, almonds, almond flour cookies, almond flour bread, almond flour everything. It tastes amazing. And then I was like, oh, hold on. I don't feel so good. Like, oh, wait, that wasn't a good idea. Yeah. And it happens to a lot of people. So this is really just giving more information about all of that. And it sounds amazing. So tell us when it comes out, where they can get it, your book tour, that stuff. Yeah. So I'm really excited. It comes out July 17th. It's in stores. You can pre-order it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indie Book. All the online stores have it already. And the cool thing about Amazon is when you pre-order, they have a pre-order guarantee, which means you will get it the day it releases, like not the day after. And you also pay the cheapest price for it. So like they won't actually like charge you until the day of release. And usually like right now it's down to 27, but it'll probably go down to like $22 nice. around release. And it's, I'm telling you, it's 150 recipes. There's four meal plans. Oh yeah. There's a master shopping list for the entire book. Oh, cool. Right. So like one page with all of the ingredients. So like like, everything you would ever possibly need. Exactly. And there's like cooking tips and tricks. And I explain AIP, I explain paleo, and I explain keto in detail in the front matter, as well as my own story and like the emotional side of healing. I cover it all. Oh my gosh. I'm very thorough. Yeah. And every recipe has substitutions, has chef's notes, storage instructions, heating instructions, all the things. Like I wanted to cover all the bases. I want this to be someone who's like, hey, I want to heal. I'm going to buy this book. Oh my gosh, I don't have any more questions. Like I wanted to answer all the questions Mm -hmm. ahead of time. I love it so much. So great. And we'll make sure that everyone goes out and grabs that. We'll have a link to get it over on Amazon and Barnes and Noble in the show notes. So you can pre-order and get the best deal, it sounds like, which is great. But Christina, thank you so much for coming on the show and being so open with your story and just such a good conversation. And I think so much that people can really relate to. Oh, thank you so much, Juan. I love being here and I love your podcast. I'm a huge fan, so I'm really honored to be here. Thank you so much. And we'll be in touch and can't wait for the book. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.